Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Yeah, bank holiday, I'm still here. Why would you expect me not to be? Of course I work on bank holidays, what's the problem? So, we're all so much happier today, aren't we? The sun is shining, well nearly, uh, it's just beginning to raise the gloom uh, above the mist out there. Uh, it was a bit cold this morning, but it's going to be lovely, it's going to be beautiful, uh, so go out there and enjoy it, for heaven's sake. Uh, why not indeed? The roads, however, are chock-a-block, the trains aren't running properly. It must be, of course it must be a bank holiday weekend, but as you might expect, I don't believe in taking bank holidays off, after all, I don't actually work in a bank. But there is something also determining our mood, isn't there? We've got joy abundant, and we've got all sorts of things to look forward to. Why? It is the fact that Boris Johnson has finally made Carrie Antoinette, an honest woman, the amount of vitriol and alternatively treacle that this has generated over the weekend is quite extraordinary. Now, let me explain something to you. You know, I have no problem with John Boris Johnson getting married. I don't care how many times he gets married. I don't care how many children he's got. I don't care how many ex-wives he's got. I don't care how much money he's got in the bank. I'd rather he didn't have to borrow money in order to support his own lifestyle while he makes not only £150,000 a year, but also uh, has a very, very nice expense account, uh, which pays for an awful lot of things. But what I do care about uh, is the fact that people are somehow attacking those people like me who say, I think the timing isn't very good. I just think the timing doesn't make it look very great. The number of Tory MPs that have fallen over themselves to congratulate the happy couple has been pretty nauseating. And the number of lefties that have been having a go at him for all sorts of personal reasons has also been disgraceful. Just after it happened, I tweeted that it was a severe case of bad timing. Some no-marks thought I was being critical of the event itself, which I wasn't. But what I was being critical of uh, was the fact that the concerns of ordinary people the people who have not been able to work, the people who have lost loved ones because of the lockdown, not because of COVID, and the people who have uh, lost business as a result of the government's lockdown policies over the past year, to wit, in particular, wedding companies, event specialists, they just didn't need it shoved down their throat. We'll talk to uh, Tory, former Tory MP Stuart Jackson about it. I'm sure he'll disagree with me. He'll want to wish the couple well. That's fine. I don't wish them anything other than well. I just think it was a bad time to do it. Coming up later on, uh, we're joined by Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday Columnist with his take on the Dominic Cummings affair and why he hates what the BBC has done to call the midwife. As ever, of course, you need to hear from you uh, because the traffic has been absolutely horrendous on this bank holiday weekend. So if you're trying to get anywhere and it's a problem, do let us know. We can tell everybody else. Howard Cox will be joining us as well to explain why uh, the biggest annual fuel price surge in 10 years is actually going on. 03444991000. Also, we'll be finding out what's going on with the summer holiday scenario with Lisa Francesca Nan after the news over the weekend that some 18 million people returned to our airports last year during lockdown. Huh? Yeah, don't go anywhere. Just the 18 million of you. Uh, you're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, fully prepared as I am uh, to be spanked by Stuart Jackson, uh, I'm going to talk to him right now. He is founder, director and strategic counsel at Political Insight, former Conservative Party MP, of course, as well. Stuart, very good morning to you. 
Mike, the very thought of spanking you live on air, <laughs> I think, would do wonders for your rating. Listen, the Tory party very healthy already. The Tory party but is. Remember, uh, I did used to be a Tory MP. I was going to say. I mean, if John Major is still prime minister, I, I would expect nothing less. But that's another story altogether. But do you know what I mean? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I, I wish Carrie and and Boris well. I don't have a, a, an ounce of jealousy about me, which people were accusing me of. I just think that, you know, it looked a bit smug at the weekend and it looked as though, you know, we're all right, Jack. You know, it's great that we can go and get married, even though loads of it. And I know this personally because they've rung me to tell me events companies can't make any money. People are cancelling weddings right, left and centre because they can't have a proper wedding. They've got to wear masks and all of that stuff. I just don't know why he had to do it this weekend. Well, I'm not going to spank you, but I am going to slightly take you to task because he's he's forgone his honeymoon. He's not swanned off to anywhere, actually. He's not gone to Mablethorpe. He's not gone to Acapulco. He's not gone to some... He's, he's not going James back to Bond Mustique, night. is he? He's not gone to... No, he's not gone back to <laughs> Mustique. And the fact is, it was... He, whatever he does, he's going to be criticised because uh, it was quiet. It was denied originally, I think, by number 10 in that they didn't want to comment on it. Right. And, um, you know, he's had a religious service. He was baptised a Catholic, although I think he was brought up probably as an Anglican. Yeah. Um, all the lefty vitriol haters are are now experts on uh, Catholic marriage. Oh, isn't it great? And, uh, yeah, listen, I, and please, you know, whatever, whatever you think, I'm definitely not in their camp. You know, I, I also no. love the Catholic Church, which is full of rules. I was brought up as a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, full of rules yeah. where I was not allowed to get married in a Catholic church unless I brought my uh, intended uh, to, to some counselling session so that she could be learning how to be a Catholic, where they say they don't recognise the previous two marriages because they weren't in the Catholic church. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, people <laughs> criticise him for being some sort of dissolute, uh, uh, you know, re retrograde um, uh uh, sort of free, free spirited, buccaneering uh, bachelor, mm. and then at the same time they criticise him for choosing to get married in Westminster Cathedral, which is the, you know, the highest um, church uh, building in the in the Catholic hierarchy in the United Kingdom, um, and, and obviously, you know, he's done that because. Um, he, he has a religious affiliation. Mm. But in terms of the substance, Mike, you know, he's not taking um, a, a honeymoon. He's getting back to work straight away to tackle the COVID crisis. And I think, you know, just let them have a little bit of happiness and privacy. You know, Tory MPs are going to are going to praise him because, you know, when your boss gets married, that's the kind of thing you do. It, it's, it's nothing untoward. And I think if, if they're happy, their family are happy, then that doesn't mean I'm not sympathetic to wedding planners and hotels and all the yeah. rest of it. But, no, you know, listen, cut him some Stuart, listen, all, all I can do is, is speak my mind, which is what I do all the time. And I'm sorry <laughs> that a lot of people don't agree with me. And in fact, it shows you how robust the belief system is in Boris Johnson, that people were giving me a lot of uh, a lot of flack over the weekend. Go, what's wrong with you? Just say congratulations. And I'm like, well, I'm just telling you what I think because that's what I do. I don't tell you what I think because I want to be popular. I tell you what I think because that's what I think. And I think the point about Boris and why he is so popular is precisely shown by this, that most people are actually going, good on you, man. Well done. They don't yeah, care yeah. that it's his third marriage. They don't care that she's, you know, uh, 23 years younger than him or whatever it is. They don't care that, you know, um, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's had a difficult time or an easy time or whatever it is. They just actually quite like Boris Johnson. And that's the bottom line. And that's why he is killing and kicking into touch the l most ludicrous and ridiculous leader of the opposition there's ever been. And let's move on to him. So Keir Starmer. Yeah, I think I would also say, Mike, don't give up sticking up for the little guy as well you know the small business no, I person won't. but uh, you know that's what we admire you for, for for being outspoken um and i think on you are generally on the side of the angels um I, i'm not i'm not saying you're totally wrong about boris but you're right he's authentic and people just like the fact he's a bit shambling mm. he's a he's kind of doesn't play by the rules he's establishment but he's not the establishment and the main thing is, the more these people hate him and kick him and snipe at mm. him in The Guardian and The Independent and on the BBC, 
the more people like him. Yes. So, you know, it's self-defeating from their point of view, frankly. Well, it is. Um, and, yeah. let, and, let, and let's talk about Sir Keir Starmer, because he wrote a piece, I'm not sure which particular Guardian it was published in, but I spotted it yesterday. He wrote this big sort of think piece about where Boris's leadership had gone wrong, which I thought, well, that's pretty good coming from you, mate. A guy who can't even rid your own party of the scum uh, of anti-Semitism, who can't even control the likes of Diane Abbott, who pushes racism at every point, uh, including mm. when that Sasha Johnson uh, incident happened in Peckham, and she claimed that it was because she was a, a fighter for racial justice. No, mm. it turned out she got shot in a drive-by shooting by accident. You know, this is a bloke who wouldn't know how to put his foot in front of one another uh, if he wasn't told how to do it. Well, he's weak and he's facile and he, he uses hindsight to bolster a thin argument. There was a very interesting article written yesterday by Matthew Syed, who's mm. one of the best columnists in the Sunday Times. I like Matthew, yeah. And he... He writes beautifully and he actually said, look, there's a danger of the received wisdom being that Boris was wrong on masks. Boris was wrong on when to impose the lockdown, that kind of thing. And actually what he did, he forensically looked at all the advice the scientists had given the government right. and they were not definitive. They didn't know what they were doing in February, March, April last year. They were flying blind, and as was the government. And for Starmer to say in that disgraceful way he has that the Prime Minister is effectively personally responsible for thousands of deaths yeah. is is appalling. Well, this and is, is, what, this is, is completely this is, wrong. Well, this is what Starmer said. And, I mean, he started off with these facts, right? He said, you know, thousands of people are grieving because of the Prime Minister. You know, people died unnecessarily because of Boris Johnson. And, he, and all absolute rubbish, nonsense. I mean, forget about the fact that we're not even sure if all of the people who are said to have died of COVID actually did die of COVID. You know, people are not blaming Boris Johnson for that. I mean, you know, how about you blame China? How about you blame Wuhan and the laboratory where it may have well been cooked up, as we now learn, uh, as a result of some scientific experiment? Well, not just that. There, there are demographic factors that meant that the UK was likely to be more at risk of a pandemic, a flu pandemic or another type of COVID corona pandemic. Um, obesity levels, for instance, mm. uh, density of population, very large cities, being an international hub, multi, um, multi-generational households. These are all factors that have not been taken into account. But they don't, notwithstanding the very tragic situation of so many people dying, they don't overshadow what has been a, a huge triumph. I mean, we're looking at 39 million people having received the first dose, 25 million, including myself on Saturday morning, getting a second dose, over 64 million uh, vaccine doses. And that's from a standing start. And that's a tremendous result. So, you know, it seems to me Starmer wants to, you know, bask in the glory of the vaccine programme being a success, but be uh, attacking and undermining and introducing the government on something that, Really, he was not ahead of the curve. I mean, he agreed with the government, basically, for most of last year, or most of their policies. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely right. And, I mean, you know, he's such an irrelevance now uh, that he's now sort of reduced to going on to Piers Morgan's life stories and bursting into tears in order to try and make himself look human. I mean, it's quite pathetic, really, isn't it? Well, I don't think the public are stupid. They can see through someone. He's not a Tony Blair. You know, whatever you think about Blair, Blair was a class act. Blair took a basket case party in the 90s he mm. knocked it into shape yeah. he made it electable and they hate and him think, they hate him more than they, they hate, hate boris <laughs> but you know he, he promoted serious political figures right. alistair darling john reed uh you know well even gordon Rob brown a. who turned out to be a bit of a psychopathic uh, you know prime minister he was, yeah. pretty, he was a pretty capable chancellor up to a point wasn't he well these were serious figures yeah. because uh, and this is a party of you know, Roy Jenkins, Harold Wilson, Jim Callaghan, mm. Shirley Williams. You know, it's very serious people who were patriots, who uh, did look out for working people. I mean, I had lunch with a Labour, an ex-Labour MP last week, and she said, um, basically, people are not going to vote for a party who they think hates them. Mm. And if you live in the Midlands of the North and you're patriotic and pro the armed forces and you salute the flag, and you don't like woke, uh, and and you 
you have old-fashioned inverted commas values, you think the Labour Party sneers at you, looks down and you, hates you. And until uh, Keir Starmer can repudiate that and bring that electoral coalition back together between the Guardian reading, liberal, younger uh, Labour voters in the cities mm. and their hitherto stalwart bedrock support, they're never going to get elected into government again. And, and I don't know if anyone's taking that seriously, because certainly Starmer isn't bringing forward a clause for a moment like Blair did. No, not at all. And do you think if Labour loses the Batley by-election that it's curtains for Keir? Because I can't see how he yes. can survive losing Hartlepool and Batley. I mean, they've done what I regard as a very cynical move uh, to choose Joe Cox's sister to run as the candidate. I mean, I think that's that's worse than cynical. Um, again, I don't, you know, I don't criticise her personally, but I just think it's a pretty low blow in a way. Um, but if they lose that, I mean, he's finished, isn't he? Yes, he is. But I don't, I have to say, if I had to put my mortgage on it, I think Labour will probably hold that seat. Mm. It's not the same seat as Hartlepool. Um, the Tories have failed to win that seat back since 1992. Uh, that was the last time it elected a Tory MP, uh, which is, what, 29 uh, years ago now. And it has a stalwart support of, of black and minority ethnic voters, a lot, lot of those voters in the seat. And it had a, a very small, for Yorkshire, it had a very small Brexit vote. So I don't think mm. there'll be that much opportunity for the Tories to squeeze. So I'd say there's probably a 65% chance Labour will hold that seat, but I, I could be proved wrong. Yeah. I hope I'm proved wrong because I'm a Conservative. Well, I mean, I think I think we'd all, I mean, quite like, I mean, if you're a Conservative, you want to see Keir Starmer staying in the job for as long as possible. But literally, if you were to think of who he could appoint as, as, as his front bench uh, cabinet, you're, one, you're struggling. I mean, I can't think of anyone that you would want to see in that party as a chancellor. If he does go, I can't imagine who they're going to get as a leader. Whoever it is, I presume it will be somebody worse than they've got now. Well, the problem is some of the most talented people they've got are people who fought tooth and nail to repudiate the Brexit result. Mm. And people like Yvette Cooper and, and Hilary Benn, who were hardcore Remainers, they're very smart people and they would be uh, a very valuable asset in the shadow cabinet but they're completely not where about 40% of Labour voters are. Mm. And that's the difficulty they've got. Um, and frankly, you know, any party that has David Lammy in a front bench position, a man who, you know, effectively described Brexiteers or compared them uh, to, you know, Nazis, mm. uh, it was a disgrace. Mm. And, you know, I know, you know, I've known David Lammy for a long time and he wasn't always like that he was much more bipartisan at one point but Brexit sent some people completely oh, for God's off sake, the yeah. edge Bonkers. and I think that was an appalling comment to compare the European research group to you know to extreme yes. fascists and racists it yeah. was totally wrong no totally right well if you look at uh, people like uh, Brendan Chilton that we talk to a lot on this show uh, and other shows on talk radio a very sensible old Labour kind of voice who believes in business, who believes in Brexit, who believes in Britain and believes in, in uh, you know, all the good things about this country. Um, and then he warned them. He said, you know, you don't put a Remainer up in mm. Hartlepool. You're going to get slaughtered. Same as Kate Hoey, you know, another wonderful woman, great former yeah. Labour MP, now in the House of Lords. You know, they'd look at, upon the Labour Party now and just shake their heads. There's a small group of very courageous Labour people who are much closer to their grassroots. Tom Harris, former Labour MP, Kate Hoey, mm. Paul Embry of the Fire Brigades Union, who's been hounded out of that union, yeah. um, and others. Brendan Bint. I actually did a, I did a rally with Brendan Chilton just before the referendum in my own then I think he's a great talent, politically. He's a great talent, a great talent, and a great loss that the Labour Party is not using someone mm. like him. But the fact is the Labour Party historically was founded to look after the interests of working people mm. against uh, what were the infringements and abuses of capitalism yeah. in the beginning of the 20th century. And people like um, Keir Hardy would, would be are turning in their graves mm. now to see what the Labour Party has become, this narrow sect of woke liberals uh, f overly focused on minority issues mm. and lots of people are crying out they're not necessarily conservatives but they're absolutely crying out for a party 
that represents their interests as ordinary working mm. people who are patriots as well. Absolutely. And finally, uh, Stuart, what are you making of the June 21st day? I mean, saw on the front page of the Telegraph today, UK vaccine passport plans to be scrapped, which is certainly music to my ears and will be to an awful lot of other people's ears. Absolutely. Many businesses want to see the lifting of all restrictions on June 21st. Some people say to me, if Boris doesn't do that, he's going to become unpopular overnight. I think it will present a very serious political problem for Boris Johnson and the cabinet if the 21st of uh, June lifting of the restrictions mm. is delayed, even by a few weeks. I don't think the evidence is there. Uh, I don't think this idea that you've got to have, quote, extensive data. Again, the, the, the scientists have not got a settled position on this. Uh, and the fact is that new COVID cases are dropping. It's very localised, still yeah. within a small number of local authorities. And the idea that this mantra, protect the NHS, inevitably means ruining the economy for another six months. I just don't think people will buy it. And actually, I don't think people will take any notice mm. anyway. They are fixed on the 21st of June. They might not want to go abroad, but they want to get their life back normally. Uh, and I'd say, finally, we've got to do it because the non-COVID procedures in the NHS, like cancer treatment, uh, people like Carol Sikora have been making this point mm. for months. Yeah. We've got to start refocusing on that because people are dying and people are getting sicker if there's only a focus on clinical outcomes around COVID. Totally. Stuart, great to talk to you. Uh, we'll have to get together now that we can. Uh, very soon, we'll get you back in the building as well. Stuart Jackson, founder, director and strategic counsel at Political Insight, former Conservative MP, of course. And as if you didn't know, people are sick to the back teeth of all of this nonsense. If you saw the numbers of people, the hundreds of thousands of people out in the streets of London at the weekend demonstrating against lockdown, absolutely extraordinary stuff. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, let's talk to Howard Cox, founder of Fair Fuel UK campaign, because uh, despite the fact that there were ridiculous traffic jams uh, over the weekend, and there will no doubt be ridiculous traffic jams today as people try to come home from the bank holiday weekend. But on the front page of the Telegraph today, motorists face the biggest annual fuel price surge in 10 years. Basically, in a year uh, since last year, prices of uh, a petrol per litre have gone up by about 22 to 25 pence. Howard, very good morning to you. What's going on? Good morning, Mike. Well, it's as usual thing. We spoke many times about it. And this is why we need a body called Pump Watch, because there's the opportunistic companies in the fuel supply chain are taking advantage. There's a glut of oil all around the world. Do you think it would come down prices if there's a glut? Well, isn't it, isn't it funny? Do you remember last year, I think it was, when oil at one stage was actually in a negative um, yes. state where if you bought oil, you would actually have to pay somebody uh, to take it away for you because somehow it was worth less than you paid for it yesterday. That's absolutely right. And the pound is stronger as well because it's, everything's measured in dollars. And the pound is stronger against the dollar. We should be seeing price drops. But this is a classic problem. And I've got loads of MPs who want to call for this thing called Pump Watch, similar to Ofcom, Ofgem, you name it. We just need something. We want uh, uh, businesses to make a decent money out of uh, selling fuel. But the right. point is not taking advantage in a situation, particularly in covid uh, time now we should be looking encouraging yeah. people to well do you know I'm, I'm one of those people which which I'm very fortunate to, to, to admit to being who doesn't always notice the price of uh, filling up the car but if you're in a, in a you know a commercial van situation or you're you're having to fill your car up because you're a cab driver or, or you're you know um, an uber driver whatever you might be you know it's costing you now uh, effectively 25 percent more than it was last year isn't it that's right. And as you know, I mean, the haulage industry and the distribution and logistics businesses, they work on very, very low margins. And, you know, I've been fighting for the last 10, 12 years regarding fuel duty. And we have got that freeze, but we're still the highest tax motors in the world. Mm. We're still the ones that are actually demonised the most, every ill on the planet, as you know. And, you know, I, I drove this morning down to the coast near Rye Harbour to do my usual morning photo photography. Took a picture of a cuckoo, mm. uh, Mike, which was a, which is really good fun. Uh, but there was no traffic on the road. On the way back about 7.30, suddenly there was 100 million motorbikes, loads of caravans and campers yeah. going mad. The lemmings are out, bless them. Oh, listen, and, uh, I mean, down in Sussex on Saturday, I haven't seen that much traffic, I don't think, ever 
because I think the problem is, and you can't blame people, but they've all decided, right, we've got to go somewhere. It's bank holiday weekend. And so all the B&Bs are open. You know, people yeah. are flooding to the coast. They're going down to the West Country. I heard uh, on the radio, I think on uh, Saturday afternoon, there was a three-hour tailback on the M5. You know, on Saturday, I was stuck on the A2. Uh, and I'm sorry for people who don't know where these roads are, uh, on Friday trying to get down to Sussex because there was such a queue trying to get through the Dartford Tunnel um, that it was messing up if you were going anywhere else. I don't understand why the traffic in this country can't be properly sort of separated out. You know, if I if I want to go south on the M25, why do I have to sit in a queue because of all the people that want to go north? Well, you're talking common sense, but again... Sorry during... about that. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is, you know, during this time of the year when there's been less traffic than ever, you think they'd actually sort this out with actually repairing roads. We've still got third world roads. Yeah. The quality of the potholes is unbelievable. They're starting to repair them now when yeah. traffic is getting worse. Right. We had the chance to do it. And instead, what they did, these people repairing their roads were put out on furlough when they could have been repairing the roads in the open air when there's no problems of catching anything. Right. Also, so did, I, did I see a story this morning, Howard? I can't remember where I saw it, and I haven't got it to hand, but it said, and it was representing the AA and the RAC's view, uh, that somehow a lot less people had been travelling by road in the past year. Well, that's not my experience. You know, ever since the beginning of this pandemic, the roads have actually been pretty busy, not least because nobody's travelling by public transport. You're absolutely right. I don't know where they get this. I mean, my... I mean, who are these people? They're supposed to be friends of the motorists, but I'm not sure they are anymore. Well, the RAC and AA have been a big disappointment generally. I mean, the AA has been recently uh, sold to another equity company that, and because they made a big loss. They mm. don't represent the motorists. It's people like us and the, the Road Haulage Association who actually represent everything we need to do on the roads. And and, and you're absolutely right. We're, uh, we're frustrated as hell about that. And that's why the all-party parliamentary group will be producing a report, which uh, I promise you that uh, Talk Radio will get the first to see it. Excellent. Uh, which, which will be looking at actually what people think about everything from the low traffic no, no, uh, and networks and uh, cycle lanes, but also everything about what's about this 2030 ban of diesel and petrol. And I'm looking forward to presenting it first on Talk Radio. Well, I'll be looking forward to uh, the, the views of the majority of the people of this country who will no yeah. doubt come out in favour of get rid of all of them. Because, I mean, I was I was again struck yesterday. I had to go through a little bit of South East London, which I know well, um, where they've got like one of those gates, you know. So if you haven't got a, if you've got a car like mine, which is quite broad, broad, quite wide, you know, and I'm not you know, I'm not asking for sympathy. But, you know, I've got to be really careful not to scrape the hell out of it and cost myself about a thousand pounds of bodywork. And if you're in a fire engine or if you're in an ambulance or even a, a reasonably good sized police vehicle, you've got to get out of the car, open the gate drive through meanwhile people's house, houses are on fire and that's what is so disgusting and they still blindly carrying on openings that i mean the, the world is divisive in terms of our road mm. user strategy we need to come together and i've said it a hundred times on your show before please can we work together to produce a sensible road user strategy for the future and, and i'm sure people could come to do it. there's a lot of good cyclists who actually are fed up with this too it's yeah. not just Oh, we, we, we antagonise cyclists a little bit on this show, but I promise you that most of them are pretty good. It's only a minority that are attacking them. As you probably saw, I've been actually attacked by one. I'm the most dangerous man on, on, in the UK, according to one person. Well, <laughs> I'm quite aggravated. Well, I know, I know who that person is. He's another one that, uh, for some god-awful reason, they keep using on uh, Talk Radio. I don't know why. You know, there's a couple of them that uh, are on my... Uh, and he works for independence as well, so that's another reason. Yeah, well, that, yeah, well, there we are, you know. But, I mean, you know, it is extraordinary to me. And the other thing that people aren't really taying, paying much attention to at the moment, and I, I don't know if it's a problem everywhere, but it's a problem in London, is the number of scooters and guys oh. on, on, on sort of motorbikes who are delivering food. Now, I know it's a hard job to do, and I know that there's a lot of people who make a lot of money doing it, or at least make a living doing it. But, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any kind of licensing of how many of these people are. I mean, I was sitting at some traffic lights yesterday. I was in Knightsbridge. And I kid you not, Howard, there were about 15 cyclists to my left, and there were two guys on scooters to my right. About three more came around. I mean, it was literally like, you know, you're in some kind of Game of Thrones scenario, where you have, I mean, if you, if you, if you move at all, you're lucky if you don't hit someone. I know it, it, it's incredible. I mean, the whole I, I and, I, and I'm my, the only one paying fifteen quid for the privilege, by the way. Yeah, I know. And I go back to my <laughs> premise about we need to have joined up thinking, consultation with the main stakeholders who contribute the fourth largest income to the treasury. Mm. And they're not being consulted. They're just being told you can't go here, you can't do that, you're blocked from here. 
etc. But if you're a cyclist and a scooter user, which I think is the most amazing, they do up to 30 miles an hour they're going along yeah. and on the pay- and on the pavement, yeah. uninsured and dangerous. Right. I saw a thing from Peter Hitchens. He wrote. Oh yeah, article. no, I'm not talking about the e-scooters. I'm, t- I'm talking about like the regular scooter. I mean the e-scooter. I was going to come on to the e-scooters, but since you're on it, we're already there. No, I'm talking about the guys on sort of Lambrettas and little 50cc mopeds. Oh, I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the Deliveroo drivers, I, I understand what you're saying about that. It, it is, it, it's terrible. And what's happening out in there, we talk about London, but it's happening right across other cities mm. across the country, Mike. And the point is, we've got to get on top of this. And we are working hard on this, and hopefully in the next two or three months, someone's going to listen to us. I'm trying to get a big APP. Well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But I mean, I had the misfortune as well. And I'm sorry to give you a chapter and verse of my travels around London. I went up Park Lane North yesterday for the first time since they put the bleeding cycle lane in. They've got a cycle lane which is as big as the bus lane, which is suitable for two buses next to each other. And then they've squeezed the motorist into one tiny little lane uh, going up the inside. It's unbelievable. And who's paying for that road? Well, we are, aren't we? (laughs) Yes, you exactly. and me. I mean, you're, you and I have been the last two guys paying for all the roads in London while everybody else wanders about quite happily telling us that we're all evil, nasty, horrible people killing the planet. No, mate. Well, look, I, I promise you, you're going to get the first look at this wonderful survey. Excellent. 35,000 people responded in 48 hours. Brilliant. So it's amazing. And cyclists, everyone across the way from motorbikers as well. The, the thing is, everyone is angry. Everyone is up in arms yeah. about this. But Grant Schatz and Boris Johnson and this government aren't listening. Absolutely shocking. We'll get sorted. Very much so. Howard Cox, founder of Fair Fuel UK, uh, has been doing it for a long time, uh, has been fighting the fair fight for a long time, takes an awful lot of flack, uh, gets called all sorts of horrible, nasty names by, you know, the cycling brigade. And quite frankly, you know, if you're out and about today cycling, great, have a good time, enjoy it. But just use the cycle lanes because that's what they were built for. You're not supposed to not use the cycle lanes. And if you're on a moped... Can you not just wait behind a car? Do you have to, like, weave in and out all the time, causing uh, the, the traffic to, to slam, slam on the brakes, causing people to worry they're going to kill you, knock you over? I mean, it's really a terrible situation out there. Uh, I'd love to hear from some of you cyclists as to why you have to be such numpties. 0344 499 1000. We'll take more of your calls. Uh, we're going to talk about the Freedom March that took place on Saturday. Uh, we're going to talk to Peter Hitchens coming up after the news. We're going to talk to a wedding planner as well, a spokesperson for the Weddings Task Force, because, of course, some people who've been trying to organise weddings have been prevented from doing so by this government. But don't worry, if you're Boris Johnson, you just go and get married at the local Catholic cathedral, don't you, down the road, in top-secret fashion. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. And I'm delighted to say a very good morning uh, on a bank holiday Monday to Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you? Good morning. Nice to talk to you on a bank holiday. I, I, I assume, like me, you're, you're one of those people that doesn't really pay much attention to bank holidays. I'm not quite sure why we have them. I'm not quite sure why uh, banks have them. Uh, it doesn't really seem to make much sense in the modern world, does it? It, it was a great thing in the Victorian Edwardian period when people didn't have paid holidays, uh, but I do think it's pretty obsolete now. So why have a Monday as a holiday? I, I never understood why that. Well, as opposed to a Friday. <laughs> no, Friday is a great holiday. I, have, I I was completely disagree with you. That Friday is a great day to have off. When I when I used to work every Sunday mm. on the old Daily Express, I had Friday off, and it was a marvelous day off. Yes. 
No, listen, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not saying Friday's a bad day to have off. I'm, I, I, I've always worked various different times. I've worked Christmas Day, I've worked New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. I don't really care. Whatever, whatever has to be done has to be done. Um, I just think we have far too many people now in this country, and particularly now, even more probably, since they've all been working from home, who don't like working very much. Well, I mean, it really does. Well, I do, actually. Well, Ron, I love working. Ron, I take Ronald Reagan's line on this. He, he was told when he was young that hard work never killed anybody, but he wasn't going to try and find out if it was true. <laughs> That's a great I, I Reaganism. A few, weeks, a few weeks working at a brewery in Oxford in my teens, uh, the hardest job I ever did. Yes. I, say it struck me that if i did it for a very long time it probably would have killed me well listen you know people will say to me you've never done a hard day's work in your life you know look at the state of you and all that i used to work in a bakery where you would stand on your feet for literally sort of 10 hours a day in searing heat in the middle of the summer you know picking the bits of green uh, leaf out of strawberries and, and putting hot jam on things and i mean that was proper work and i and i freely admit that i wouldn't have wanted to do it for the rest of my life and i take well, that's why i take my hat off to anyone who does a real job well, Mr. Hitchens worked in a yard egg factory, which made the, the yard-long eggs they put in pork pies. So it's always oh, the, my God. Now, always I've always wondered how they do that. How do well, they do that? Well, I can tell you it's a long and rather disgusting process involving plastic <laughs> tubing. Uh, but it was probably the smelliest job. Oh, in yeah. The, even smellier than the pigsty I once marked out. Mm, yes. Well, this is... So don't this tell is, me I never did, did, did I know. Anyway. But this, is, but this is the, 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 the vagaries of working as a journalist. You always get accused of never ever having to have done an honest day's work, and they're often wrong. Uh, and in <laughs> our case, they, they obviously are. Let's talk a bit about a man who probably hasn't ever done a decent day's uh, work in his life, and that's Dominic Cummings, who you quite rightly pointed out uh, wanted to actually appoint a sort of dictator to this country, and is one of those people that we seem to have a lot of now uh, who think they're better than everybody else. It's it's not that he thinks he's better. I think he does think, and I think he has reason to believe it. He's cleverer than most people, mm. but he thinks that this that this should go unrestrained yeah. as a result. And I think the, the problem with a free society is that, however clever you are, you, you in fact the, the the cleverer you are, the more you need people around you who are as clever as you, or nearly as clever as you, to say, well, actually, no, that might not be a good idea, mm. uh, Mr. Lord Protector, or whatever, whatever yes. he calls himself. I, th- there has to be in any system of government at least one person who's prepared to say uh, to the to the man in charge, no, that's a mistake. Mm. This is that, that great, I mean, very left-wing, but very clever uh, television series, The West Wing, was founded on this. Uh, again, again, what the, what the close advisors of the President of the United States had to do was to say, you've got this wrong. Mm. You can't do it. And it mm. was their job. And it took a lot of courage to do, because powerful people can be extremely angry when crossed mm. but it is it, the whole point of having an independent civil service is to have very senior people who can say no prime minister you can't do that and there's the sort of form of government which dominic Cummings seems to be yearning for is a, is a form of course which can only be justified by a huge crisis such as the, the, the such such as the, the the covid problem has been alleged to be and and in the circumstances people like him move into the no it's 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 what they were born for mm. and he suddenly saw an opportunity to exercise the, the power and the intellect uh that he has well as i say i don't doubt he's a clever person uh, but no I, I but i found it you know i found i found i found it strangely comforting rather like what you said the other week about you know how it was sort of strangely comforting that we were, we were thinking about going back to war with the french because it's kind of where we are i found it strangely comforting that here was a man accusing one of the men uh, who runs one of the top uh, departments in the government, the Secretary of State for Health, of being more or less a congenital liar, and also saying that the man who he had helped to get elected was not fit to do the job. I was I was comforted by the fact that all of those things he said seemed to have almost no impact at all on either of the men that he was attacking. Well, it, it, it was interesting, was it? I think that the the what you might call the the dictatorial left who, who longed for us to be. Oh, constant. they loved it. Uh, constantly held down under these measures, uh, and, and who completely agreed with with uh, Mr. Cummings's view that that the that the government had failed to act promptly enough, and that people had died because they, they hadn't closed the our society down thoroughly enough, which is still completely a disputed claim. Uh, that they they certainly felt that uh, what he said was uh, was good. I think mm. most people uh, are actually, and I certainly there has never been since all this began. Uh, so much uh, activity in the streets and in the shops and in workplaces. Mm. Uh, there is a ge- genuine feeling now for the first time 
of a return to something like normal. Nobody wanted, I think, to hear the voice of somebody who, who apparently wanted a, a, a return to abnormal as quickly mm. as possible. And I think that 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 probably meant that his only welcome came from from, the, from Islington and places like that, where he where he is now a hero. I believe yeah. and being being placed in town halls and, and buses are being instructed. <laughs> Quite. And and our, well, great, our great leader and mentor, Dominic but, Kite. But didn't it also point to the sort of Westminster bubble? And, you know, you and I both know lots of people who work inside it, uh, many of whom are very estimable people. But it is a world of its own where, you know, I was talking to Peter... Uh, Cardwell, who's who's our sort of commentator, used to be a special advisor in Downing Street. Very excited about the whole prospect of it all happening. And I mean, most people, ordinary people, are like, well, so what? You know, so all our politicians are liars. It doesn't matter. We knew that anyway. Well, yes, it's true. Um, in some ways, it's a good thing that people shrug over over the, the scrolls of the powerful. In some ways, it's a bad thing because they fail to notice in, in, in important matters. Mm. But, by the way, the fuss about Dominic Cummings is, is extraordinary. Uh, the concentration on this, this this particular person, in my way, far more interesting uh, is the is the head of the prime minister's policy unit, a, a woman called Manira Mirza, yes. uh, who is uh, how shall I put this um, has had associations with the old Revolutionary Communist Party, which is now developed through living Marxism and spikes online. Is very left wing person indeed. And I, I argue with people uh, who are who, who left-wing people who think that Johnson is a terrific right-wing. I say, how is it that if he is such a right-winger, he has such a person in such a senior mm. position in Downing Street? And it's, it's a very, very important position. No one ever discusses it. They're always Dominic Cummings, Dominic Cummings, Dominic Cummings. Hardly ever Munir Musa, who is in many ways more interesting. Mm. Oh, very much so. But also, very few people, aside from you, picked up on his his quote which i found quite extraordinary um about this of having a sort of benign scientific dictator in charge of everybody who presumably would tell everybody how to behave uh, and who would presumably insist on them behaving that way uh, under some kind of pain of uh, of punishment well this is the dream of the utopian all the time that you are so good and so clever and you're and you're so badly needed by a, by a society in danger that you should have all power mm. And the problem with this is that it, it very, very quickly leads to a total intolerance of criticism or dissent. And that is why utopia is always, is always surrounded by a sea of blood. You, in the end, it, it, it cannot bear criticism. It cannot bear anybody saying, hang on, wait. And this is a whole state of mind that needs to be restrained. Of course, you can have people in Whitehall who think like that. But you, you've got to have a lot more people who, who, who are there to say, no, you can't do that. And you've also got to have a parliament and an opposition which are prepared to stand up to it. And you've also got to have a courts and judges who are prepared to stand up to it. And, and this is the, the really worrying thing about the past year. Those mechanisms uh, have not worked. And so we are, we are, we are driving along very fast in a car with no brakes. Yes. I mean, are you encouraged in any, in any way, shape or form by the Telegraph this morning where it says UK vaccine passport plans to be scrapped? I mean, I, it, I get the sense that they are beginning to realise that a lot of the things that they've talked about are never going to work and should not be entertained and should not even be attempted to be tried. Well, in my experience in the past 20 years or so, all attempts to uh, to confine us and, and identify us and surveil us are defeated possibly at the first, second or third attempt. But the people who want these things persist. So I wouldn't necessarily relax and say that just because uh, at the moment things are going in the opposite direction, that there will never be uh, any such demands on us to identify ourselves and to produce our health records. The creation of the surveillance state and the creation of the, uh, of the, of the identity card state continues brick by brick uh, mm. all the time. And I see no sign that the desire for this to happen is going away. So I, so I wouldn't be too... I wouldn't be too relaxed about it if I were you. No, OK. Well, I'm, I'm slightly more uh, optimistic, I suppose, than, than, than you are. Uh, well, that's always a dangerous thing to be, Mike. I, I know, I know. I'll be, I'll be, optimism is the key to unhappiness. Well, it's, it's like the, they say. It's the best hope, way to make yourself miserable in the world. You know, it's the hope that kills you, as they, as they always say. Um, before we get to Call the Midwife, which I'd love to talk about in a moment, uh, let's talk a little bit about Mr Lukashenko, uh, because uh-huh, you talked yeah. about Belarus many, uh, many moons ago, I suppose I would say. And once again, you've been proved correct. Well, I think so. I, I, I just I went there some years ago on, on a visit. At the time, actually, various 
people associated with the Tory party were, were, were having talks with Mr. Lukashenko to try and improve his image, right. amusingly enough. But the, <laughs> and the, presumably the, the, he the, said, the, no, thanks. Look what you did to David Cameron. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't remember how that, what, they, they certainly didn't succeed in remaking him. No. But it took a little, it's a fascinating place, by the way. It's not, it's, is it? it's much more complicated. Minsk is a surprisingly pleasant city. You can go and see Lee Harvey Oswald's flat where he lived when he, oh, right. when he lived in the Soviet Union. Uh, it's very green and it's, it's pretty much like the Soviet Union would have been if it had worked. Mm. Uh, but it's, it also still has a KGB and people do genuinely disappear. They arrive at the airport and they don't get they don't arrive home right. and no one ever sees them again. It's, it's really very sinister. Mm. Indeed. And I, I wrote an article about this in which I was quite rude about Mr. Lukashenko's comb over, which I said was, was a demonstration of the fact he was a dictator, because if he in, in a free country, it would have been mocked out of existence. Yeah. And I, ever after, whenever I was going eastwards in the general direction of Moscow, I would never go by train across Belarus because I really was quite afraid that some sort of revenge might be taken. Yeah. My family said, oh, don't be silly. Uh, and, and laughed at me, but they're not laughing now. No, but did you uh, ever sense that there was anyone sort of following you? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated, no, no, no. I'm fascinated was... by this kind of soft um, government-inspired terrorism that, they, that the Russians do here, that we know uh, that China does here as well, but that I've never sort of witnessed. No, there was a very extraordinary thing, though. I, was, I, I, I took really enormous care to try and find uh, independently a, a citizen of Belarus who would talk to me freely. Mm. And I ended up doing this on a moving train, a, a completely chance encounter with a rather beautiful young woman. Mm. And she was so filled with the joys of the country that I thought either it must be quite nice or the Belarus uh, security and intelligence services were even cleverer than I thought <laughs> and had actually known what train I was going to get on yes. and in the next compartment. It was amazing. Mm. I, I don't know. You, they could have. They could have been. She could have been a plant, or she could have been real. And to this day, I, I, I can't yeah. make up my mind. But the, the sophistication of surveillance these days is so great that it's quite possible they they knew exactly where I was at every minute mm. and were able to do that. Yes, yes, I, I, I do think it's a worrying situation. And, and I mean, it, again, like, like all things in this modern world in which we live, the story of the, the kidnapped um, blogger seems to have disappeared from the, the news rounds now. Nobody's talking about it. You know, he'll probably disappear um, at some point or other and nobody will really notice. Um, and and I, I'm sorry that the, the, the news business now is so has such a short attention span they don't seem capable of actually following a story for more than about three yeah, days you're right we should we should keep at it i mean these people are held in terrible conditions and treated extremely badly and are in great danger and, and, and people should make it mm. fast yeah both in media and indeed by I, I don't know whether amnesty international still does it's excellent letter writing campaigns but these people do have to be kept in, mm. in, in the in, in the public mind because it, it does make a difference and it does sometimes prevent them from being even worse treated. Yeah, than because you can imagine you, you can but, imagine the scenes in Belarus if they're all sitting around a table going, well, nobody cares in the West, so, so therefore we might just do what we want. Well, quite. So I, it, if, if, if you have time to you know, to write polite uh, letters to the you know, to the to the embassy of Belarus or indeed to um, to Mr. Lukashenko. Uh, it, it it may seem futile, but in fact, if enough people do it, mm. certainly in, in in the in the old Soviet era, if enough people do it, it does make a difference. And you're quite right. We in the media should continue to draw attention to yes. this. Yes. Well, well, I shall try and continue to to do so. Let's talk about call the midwife uh, finally, because of course, um, I like you have been sort of shall we say um, dismayed. Uh, by the way, every single BBC show now, television-wise and, and even movies that they make, have become so kind of woke and so ridiculous that you just can't really watch them. Well, this one, it, this, this started out as a sort of very, rather nice, quite sweet uh, technicolour uh, exercise in nostalgia about a group of nuns and midwives in, in, a, in, a, in a part of East London, which people were a bit nostalgic. I would say it's now become almost entirely a propaganda vehicle. Every plot line seems to be designed to reinforce some politically correct yeah. nostrum, mm. uh, but it's particularly so on the on the question of abortion. I think there have now been four episodes in which the topic of abortion has come up, and, and here we have interestingly the, a, a series based around a group of nuns. Now, I think that I think they're supposed to be Anglican nuns, but even so, yeah. uh, some people would in 1965-66 have been quite opposed to abortion on mm. on principle. It's just it, it, you, it, you could assume it. 
and they would have so would other people have been it was not i remember i was alive at the time i remember a lot of people yeah. were really happy about about uh, abortion being made easier and what i find particularly upsetting about this is the way in which the, the debate is is misrepresented what people don't know is that abortion was in fact legal under certainly quite strict circumstances mm. Uh, actually as a result of a court case back in 1939 involving a doctor called Alec Bourne. And it, although it was difficult, it was not impossible. And the, a lot of the propaganda which was put forward by people who wanted to liberalise it was, was not very well based. And I, I refer repeatedly to a fascinating article on, on legalised abortion, which can be found in the archives of the British Medical Journal to this day, uh, from April 2nd, 1966, which mm. points out that a, a lot of the claims made about huge numbers of dangerous illegal abortions simply aren't founded in any discoverable facts. Yeah. And I do, it's, it's, it's very clearly written by, by, uh, by um, very well-informed and, uh, and highly qualified people. I do recommend it to anybody. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a bucket of cold water in the face of a lot of the stuff that you hear. It's certainly, it's not reflected in the plots of Call, Call the Midwife. And I've written to the BBC about this. You know, I, do, I complain to the BBC. I think you have to, you yeah. have to do it. You can. And the response I get is completely ridiculous. First of all, they say, we pretty much it's not biased at all, which mm. it obviously is. And yeah. secondly, is, and even if it is biased, drama is, should not be governed uh, by the rules on impartiality because it doesn't have any effect. Actually, if you want to affect people's minds, a drama, especially a well-presented popular drama, is mm. a much better way of propagandizing than some documentary or somebody or somebody lecturing you on a, on a talking head show. Yes. It's incredibly powerful. Everybody remembers Cathy Come Home, the great drama about, uh, mm. about homelessness. Uh, hardly anybody remembers the dozens of documentaries that the BBC put out at the same time mm. on the same story. Drama really, really yeah. affects people. Well, in the, and also it gets, much, it gets much bigger numbers in the same way that Call of Duty has I now mean, become a kind of a treatise about how corrupt the police are. You know, it doesn't talk about a section of the police who are investigating a very low number of corruption cases. It basically no, it, paints, it, it, paints it, a picture it, that all police are corrupt. It's true, I, 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 and it's, it's been a good series, but what one wants is another series about, I, I would love to see a series, for instance, about the destruction of, of, of proper foot patrol, the beat policing yeah. in the 60s. And say you had a hero who really believed in this, uh, who, was, who was constantly under pressure from the authorities to give up what he was doing. Mm. It would be a fascinating thing to do. And in, you, could, you could have an episode of Call the Midwife in which the disadvantages of, of, of uh, freely available abortion were explored. Yeah. And the, the decent, uh, likeable character who put forward the other case. I don't want the, 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 the dramas themselves to be forced into balance by some sort of commissar. Mm. But I do want more than one side of the, of the argument yeah. to be and, and you're quite right. I remember these days as well that at the time the use of, uh, sort of what they used to call backstreet abortionists was the massive kind of um, uh, hammer with which they used to crack the nut and to say to everybody, well, we have to make it legal uh, in all cases because otherwise women are going to die in these backstreet abortion clinics. And as you say, uh, there was no real evidence to back that up. Well, in fact, the, the evidence tends to point the other way, unless there's an extraordinary good survival rate. Uh, it, higher than practically any other form of surgery it, it just doesn't seem to have to have happened and, and i would say it's if you ask most people they will say abortion was completely illegal until 1967 mm. it's just not true mm. the alec bourne case is fascinating it arose from a from an underage girl being raped by three soldiers on, on whitehall and the doctor who was actually against abortion uh, deciding he was going to abort her baby because he thought she'd probably go mad if she was mm. if she went to term and he, he he was tried and acquitted and it completely changed the law and it's, it's a fascinating episode in, in British history, almost entirely unknown, because it, it, it counters the, the, the prejudices of the people who, who now run our culture. Yeah, literally rewriting history, would you believe? Well, sort of, or leaving things out. Like yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. Peter, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens, Man on Sunday, columnist, as ever. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, very interesting. Lots of things to discuss there. Lots of things to debate. Lots of things to mull over. Because that's what we do here at Talk Radio. We ask you uh, to think about what you listen to. We ask you to think about what you watch. We ask you to think about it. Uh, tell us what you think of it. And then we get a proper debate going. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.
acres and acres of coverage today still uh, in the uh, papers this morning, despite the fact that it was all in the papers on Sunday. But Monday, uh, the Daily Mail, a borrowed dress, festival chic inside the wedding of Mr and Mrs Johnson. She's to be known as Carrie Johnson now, by the way. No honeymoon for Mr and Mrs Johnson, it says on the front page of the uh, Daily Telegraph. Uh, the Express has got it on the front page. The Sun uh, has got it on the front as well. Something borrowed, something blue, uh, because apparently she borrowed the dress. I mean, it's a lovely picture. I have no question about that whatsoever. All I did say at the weekend was I thought the timing uh, left a little bit to be desired, not least because so many wedding companies and wedding planning uh, companies have not been able to really make any money over the course of the last year because they simply haven't had the capacity to hire venues. People haven't been able to have proper parties. People have had masks uh, wearing and walking down the aisle and it just hasn't been a very pleasant experience. So I just think it would have been better if Boris and Carrie had waited until June 21st and gone, hurrah! Like everybody else, we can now get married and have a proper party. Go for it and let's build the economy. Let's give people loads of money uh, and let's have a few parties. Let's talk to Sarah Haywood, wedding planner, spokesperson for the UK Weddings Task Force. Sarah, very good morning to you. Good morning. Now, um, I was accused of being a bit of a curmudgeon over the weekend because I said, you know, the timing's not great. But I I say that because I know a lot of people who are in events, uh, businesses, not just weddings, but parties in general, you know, uh, sort of uh, music festivals, that kind of thing. And they've really struggled over the past year to make any money because a lot of people have decided to put their wedding off until they can actually have a proper party. What's, What's the situation as far as you're concerned? Well, when we have been allowed to trade since the first lockdown, which isn't which isn't, it's more than half the time we've not been allowed to trade. Right. When we have, we've been allowed to do weddings of 15 people. Mm. It just went to 30 two weeks ago. The government couldn't get the guidance out for what the restrictions might look like until the 11th hour. However, Mr Johnson was able to understand himself how he was going to plan a wedding mm. on Saturday. Um, we wish him congratulations it's always good news to hear that somebody's got married but for 320,000 couples who have chosen to postpone or cancel their weddings until we get to the other side of the pandemic the restrictions for 30 people just don't work but seemingly it works for the prime minister yes and the timing as you said that the timing but it was so crass he promised the wedding sector he stood up in the house of commons on the 12th of may and promised the wedding sector he would give us 28 days notice. Mm. He tied that to some legal requirement in some weddings that you need to give 28 days notice, read bans, whatever it was. That's not the reason that was important. The reason it was important was that hundreds of thousands of couples, 400,000 workers, 60,000 businesses who are investing in the ramp up for the 21st of June, Mm. an investment we won't get back if it doesn't happen. Right. We're waiting to hear that good news. And when I say an investment, I mean tens of millions of pounds in a sector that's already between 90 and 100% down on turnover. Mm. So we're doing things now like hiring in new staff, training them up for the demand that we hope will be there. We're bringing in staff from furlough. We don't get that money back. And this week is the cutoff point to order all the consumables and all the supplies for those weddings happening, hopefully, in three weeks' time. So great that the Prime Minister was able to get his wedding nicely sorted out and that it all worked for him. Mm. But for hundreds of thousands of others, it doesn't work. And that's the thing. I mean, if anyone thinks that they just cooked up this idea on Thursday night and decided, let's go for it on Saturday. I mean, nobody does that. And I mean, unfortunately, and again, there are people who don't like the fact that I criticise him, but I'm going to do it. You know, he had he has an open invitation in a house which we pay for. Uh, which has a very nice garden uh, for which he could get some musicians in. Uh, he can do whatever he likes. But we're, you know, we're kind of basically hosting his wedding as the taxpayer. Um, and it may not be costing us any money, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a bad look in my view. And it's insensitive. Yeah. He has given my sector a look in. We speak to some of his ministers. We, w- we went to the trouble of forming a task force so that they had people within our very disaggregated sector to talk to. We've been trying to get clarity for so long, months and months and months. We're trying to work with them, but they can't seem to get out of their heads. Mm. 
that we're anything more than a frivolous sector who just ran yes. past. But this is and the thing. Not. But Sarah, this is the thing. You know, when you hear these idiots from Sage talking about, oh, let's just wait another yeah. couple of months before we reopen everything properly. Right. You know, another couple of months is like gold dust to guys in your business, Every as it is to, as it is to restaurants. Day. You know, exactly. Every single day that we don't open counts and now we're investing as i said mm. we're not just sitting tight we're spending tens of millions for those couples who want to get married in the next month to six weeks and it's not good enough it's not good enough and if you're not going to say anything at all don't go out there and expect us to say oh how fantastic that these restrictions work for you yes exactly right because as you say presumably there will be a kind of a um a rush to get married by people who have been waiting uh, quite, yeah. you know, responsibly because they don't want to have wedding pictures with everybody wearing a mask. I mean, I've spoken to people uh, who had weddings in the last month or so and everyone had to walk down, you know, people walking down the aisle wearing masks. They ended up saying to the to the, uh, to the official, the official saying, look, can we just reshoot this after we've done the proper wedding so that we can have some pictures that we want to look at in the future where people are not all masked up? And the other ridiculous thing about this is right now, so I'm a party planner, mm. right now, and an event planner, I could do an event indoors at socially distanced capacity up to a thousand people, right. unless it's a wedding when it's 30. So right now, the restrictions don't work, don't make sense. There's no data and the, co the government keep going on about data, not mm. dates, but right. there's no data to support my sector having been so heavily restricted. A huge proportion of the population vaccinated, including the elderly, the vulnerable, the key workers. We have the ability to test a person's COVID status before they even attend the event. Unlike most other events, we know who's coming. We know what activities they're going to engage in. We know where they're going to sit. Yeah. We know everything about what's gonna happen in that event. And this sector can keep people in a COVID secure environment, just like they can you're, you're trusted to go to a football match. Yeah, trusted. I know. Well, I don't know if you watched the, Europe, the the Champions League on Saturday night as I did, but I mean, there wasn't much social distancing going on when Chelsea None. scored. I mean, they were all jumping about um, on the pitch and 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 in the stands, and they were all hugging each other, kissing each other. I'm pretty sure they weren't all from the same household. And I don't like to pit us against other sectors because all sectors should be, there should be parity between all of us. Mm. But really, I can't help thinking if the government had a slightly different makeup, that football wouldn't be put above um, the societal mm. value of an event like getting married. Yes. But well, mind not, you, but mind you I mean, I don't think it's a male, particularly male thing, if, that, if that's what you're saying, because if that was the case, True. surely, why are they punishing the hospitality sector so much? You True. know, why are restaurants, because I still know restaurateurs and, and pub owners who are saying to me, look, we, we're very grateful that we can get business back, but we still won't really be making any proper money until everybody can sit in the way that they used to sit and stand at the bar in the way they used to stand. You know, because as long as we've still got every other table occupied, we're not making any money. And at what point are we going to be allowed to take decisions for ourselves? Mm. I mean, if you've been vaccinated and or even vaccinated twice, mm. if you're able to test your COVID status, at what point are we going to be allowed to make our own decisions? Yeah. Well, that's my view on the general policy, that they have to move away from this nonsense of well, you know, there's a bit of COVID up there. There's a bit of, you know, Indian variant over there. Therefore, nobody can do anything. You can't go forward with that. That is not you a plan. Can't. And if you're if you're nervous and you don't want to attend a wedding or go to the party, yeah, don't go. go. Wedding, you don't have to. Nobody's nobody's twisting your arm. Right, but and, and me, also people. And, and people are very understanding of that. You know, if you've got elderly relatives and, you know, you don't want them to come and see you or you go and see them in a particular environment because you think that's safer, you know, that's that's what people do. People are not, you know, going around killing their relatives. You know, they know how to operate as sensible individuals. And, and we're going to get to the point... I'm going right off topic on weddings. How is it that we're the only sensible people left, Sarah? How has this happened? I, I don't understand it. And today... The, the media are whipping up brides to be oh. um, with this. I, you know, somebody from Sage has said, "Oh, you know, we should urge caution for a bit longer." Fine, but that's that's one scientist. Mm. It's not the government. And why can't the government give us some good news? 
Well, do you know? Even, do you know one of the scientists? One of the, sci- one of the scientists from from uh, the University of Cambridge who was banging on about how we should be cautious at the weekend is a mathematician, right? He's not even a, a you know what I would call a virologist. He's not a, an epidemiologist. He's a mathematician. Now, I mean, as I said to Patrick Christie's at the weekend, you might as well ask the weatherman whether you should be cautious. You know, he's a maths professor. So what? You know, what does he know about it? And we can be cautious. We can continue to be cautious and opened up. But if the government keep telling us that all decisions are theirs, we might lose the ability to make sensible decisions. Well, I think some people already have. You know, when you see some of the media questioning when they have these briefings and they go, I think it was Beth Rigby who asked the question, you know, can we we sunbathe on a Monday, Uh, Sunday? I don't know which day can we sunbathe, you know, because we can only sunbathe the weekend. You know, who can we hug? I mean, you know, really? Really? Is that what we've become? Well, it appears that is what we've become. My God. I mean, I've got lots of reasons for not getting married, so it's not a problem for me. Um, but you know, I've already totally tried it once. But, you know, you really, I mean, are you what are you hearing about June 21st? Are you hopeful that it will all well, come off? We have, we have meetings with government, which are interesting, and they reassure us. And we had one on Thursday. I wasn't right. actually at it, but I understand that they reassured us that uh, a, full re- a full unrestricted reopening was not off the cards for June the 21st, but they needed more data. Well, I would like to see my sector immediately given parity with wider events so that we would understand what a worst case scenario looked like on June 21st, Mm. because at least getting 50% of your guests there is in most cases better than just I mean, so, I mean, if you're, say, for example, booking, you know, weddings in, I don't know, uh, Heber Castle or something like that in in Kent, you know, you need to presumably be able to structure that quite a long way ahead of when you're doing it. You know, you need to be able to go, right, OK, yeah. so we've got one at one o'clock, we've got one at three o'clock, we've got one at five o'clock. You know, you can't just go on Friday or a week before yeah. ringing up Heaver Castle going, can we book, uh, can we block book, uh, you know, Saturday afternoon? And and the, we're paralysed at the moment because, of course, people are look, thinking, well, so long as June 21st goes ahead... I feel confident in booking my wedding or booking my suppliers. So the whole industry has been paralysed for some time and we need that good news. Well, the whole country needs that good news. Um, And if they can't give it, if they are hesitating, tell us. Don't let us read it on on social media. Tell us. Tell us what the plan is. I know. Shocking. Well, we'll do our best to try and m- m- moosey them along if we can, Sarah. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Sarah Haywood, wedding planner, spokesperson for the UK Weddings Task Force. Absolutely ridiculous. This is my point. You know, it's the same if you're running a restaurant, if you're running a hotel, if you're running an events business. You need to have the ability to plan. Some people, right, uh, who don't seem to see the wood for the trees. How about this from Paul? What an intolerable, t- what an a intolerable, it's an intolerable woman, sneering response to the wedding of the PM. It's not about that. It's about the fact that Boris Johnson has literally ripped uh, the mickey out of everybody in the country who has been waiting to try and organise an event which they haven't been able to do because of his government's restrictions. He's had a very happy day. He's all smiles. Uh, Some people seem to be completely oblivious to the fact that there's one rule for him and another rule for other people. This does not mean that I hate Boris Johnson. This does not mean that I'm anti-government. I just think he got it wrong. And I think for those people who are trying to make a living, like Sarah, you know, that's the proof of it. And if you can't see that, I'm sorry for you. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.